I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, the Chad to my Pharrell. It's Andy Greenwald! Does that mean I'm going to disappear for 10 years? No, Chad has a great life, man. Chad just makes the just makes the textures. Since we're talking Neptunes, which we shouldn't be, yeah, I'm man. just saying, that could. there are one or two ways that could go. Either Chad has retreated to a lovely life in Virginia Beach. Yeah. Maybe a wife, couple couple little Neptunes, little satellite <laughs> moons. Or things got dark. I don't know which it is. I think he's fine, man. I think the Neptunes are fine. The Neptunes are back. We're going to talk a little bit about their new song with Rihanna. It's called Lemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can just talk about whatever you want to talk about today. We got Stranger Things episodes four, five, and six to discuss, yes. correct? So are we putting that at the tail end? Or not we'll the tail end, second the half? Second half. So like, let's talk a little bit about, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Neptunes just because this song they put out with Rihanna, which is from their new album. You said you confirmed Listen, this via Questlove's Twitter. That's where I confirm all my major news. I'm actually not kidding. Like there was, as you guys know, there was a, a horrific attack in New York, yeah. which is unspeakable it's monstrous new york is both of our our was our cities we love it shout to everyone who lives there i found out about that from quest loves twitter are you serious yes and he confirmed like this is a this is an erd album obviously not in any way comparable events yeah but this is this is the world we live in man um so this song came out a couple of days ago and it's stunning how much it just sounds like vintage neptunes yeah i get it how i live it i live it how i get it yeah, just just one in the vault. Here, you can talk about the beat all you want. You can say like you're you're happy Pharrell's no longer dancing with minions because like we're we're, we're 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 getting some of that skateboard p lifestyle back in our earbuds. Fine. I want to talk about something that I feel personally invested in, which is MC Rihanna. Oh, is this the thing? This is my take on this because look. You may not remember months ago on this podcast. You may not remember this pod, this podcast that we're recording right now tomorrow. But a couple months ago, I said that one of the low-key, swaggiest moves on Kendrick Lamar's record was that he got a Rihanna feature, and she basically just, just rapped on, on it. it. Yeah. And she sounded dope as shit. She sounds great. Um, I felt like this was, this was coming for her. And what was... So I think it sounds great. I think it's the most interesting part of the song. But I also thought you might have something to say that clearly... The um, Obi-Wan to her Luke is puffy. Her flow is like pure, pure puffy. Do you think the people who ghost wrote for Puff... That's what I was going to get to, yeah. Ghost wrote for Rihanna? That's what I'm asking. Look, did Puff have some famous... Like, I could never tell yeah. these like Black Rob ghost writing yeah, Puff stuff. All the du- yeah, all the dudes who G-Dep. were also MCs on that label ghost wrote yeah. for him. Biggie also, yeah. most famously. But was, look, he's, Biggie's like third ranked in that, he, in that list. Ab- <laughs> absolutely. Listen... I, I, I don't, I just ask questions here. Okay. You know, I'm not a truth teller. I'm not a source of authority. I am not Questlove's Twitter feed. I don't break news. <laughs> I'm just asking the question. Do you think that, so like of all the things that you remember from the early aughts uh, in terms of hip hop production, where did the Neptunes rank I, above? I remember so much. Where did the Neptunes rank in terms of like the, your, your kind of like your hierarchy? One of the most exciting things about being a music fan or a pop music fan from the, the, the first 10 years of the decade was this sort of arms race or beats race that was occurring between Timbaland and the Neptunes, right? Where they were both, they both transitioned from being sort of not weird because, but, but very creative outliers to not just throttling the hip hop world, but mainstream R and B and pop as well. And they clearly considered each other to be, 
you know, friend, a friendly rivalry, and that sound just dominated. Yeah, I mean, I it, it, there, there, there was a specific type of track, and you know, of course, you know, drop it like it's hot or beautiful, mm-hmm. like all those songs that I'm, I named two Snoop songs for some reason. Maybe it's because <laughs> I live in California now, but but that dominated, and then they hit pause. And was it because Chad went to raise satellite moons? We don't know. Who knows? Obviously, this is right in our wheelhouse because we 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 care about these yeah. guys. We care about this music. I have sort of two lines of conversation that we can continue on before we move on to other topics. Sure. One is, I didn't know NERD was like influential. Like people seem to really point to those records and talk about them. Well, I always thought they were sort of the lark that they did in between producing the oh, biggest Jay Z well, records. Those NERD records, I think that they're pretty hotly critically debated. Like even yesterday, I saw on Twitter like some people being like, "Are we really pretending like In Search of was good?" And right. Then there were some people who were like, "Do you guys know that Fly or Die is better?" That like it was like a whole thing for like six hours underneath. Yeah. Everything else people were talking about online yesterday, but you know, and what I keep coming back to is this idea that. When the Neptunes were at their most relevant, mm-hmm. they sounded so futuristic. Yeah, and that was their whole thing. Sounds, it still sounds pretty fresh. It's not like, I, I mean, personally, like my platonic ideal of hip hop production would still be DJ Premier. And if you put out sure. someone singing sure, or Grandpa. someone doing a track over DJ Premier now, I'd still like it as much as I did back then. You know what I listened to the other day? Sing Like Bilal. Oh by Joel Ortiz. I did mean, you really? I, I just dialed that up on the old Spotify <laughs> box. I did. That's did you actually search it out or did yeah, it come I, out on a pl- playlist? S-I-N-G-L-I-K-E. Wow. I gotta add that to my, my 40th birthday party. <laughs> this is so on loop. brand for us. Yeah. But, you know, I, I remember not only were they incredibly futuristic at that time, but I remember being on like email chains among other rap critics and just the amount of scholarship that went into finding (laughs) every single Neptune's production ever and making mixes of them, CDR mixes of them. There were all these like bootleg Neptune's tapes. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like they had this kind of hold over not only um, obviously the, the pop charts and they had everybody wanting to work with them, but they also had like this kind of like critic critical sort of well, adaptation that you don't really see that because much Because they anymore. were nerds. I'm not just saying yeah. that because that was in their name. I mean, the, the first time I interviewed them, we went to like the, um, this old vintage video game store in Manhattan and, and all for all I wanted to do was talk about Galaga. Galaga. Yeah. Gal- Galaga. I never knew it, it had a, does it have a Castilian pronunciation. Yeah. Were you in Basque country? Let me tell you something. Holt McElhaney. Look, I walked into, I walked proudly into not knowing how to say that. Yeah. Um, that's their thing. But, but I also think it's impossible to overstate. And maybe since we've now steered the first part of this podcast towards the 40 year old demographic, sure. the demographic you're soon to join later this month. But this is actually... No, but what I want to say was how truly revolutionary and thrilling it was to hear Super Thug, the Nori track, and to hear like, oh, wait, what are they doing? You can do that? There's certain tracks that for us and our generation were like inflection points for you're allowed to do that. And for me, it's Aaliyah's Are You That Somebody? It's Outkast Bombs Over Baghdad, and it's probably Super Thug, where I just had no idea that you were, quote unquote, allowed to be that experimental on tracks that were at least I had perceived to be made for mainstream appeal. And then they took the mainstream and they bent it to them. Yes, and that's thrilling. And if for nothing else, even if this is just a lark at this point, because, you know, Pharrell had downtime between Minions Millions that he just wanted to make another record with his pals in Virginia. Cool. The thing that I liked about this track, which is fine, it's yeah. fine. And the Rihanna stuff's good, is that it's kind of fun and it's bright. And you know me, you know, I just take that rap caviar and I spoon it on the blinis. That's what I do. That's, that's where you me. find your Joel Ortiz that's, every, that's every Literally week. not that, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. because and I listen to that and it is a downer man like i'm not gonna sit here you. yeah i'm not gonna oh, yeah we've talked about this but, before. right but i'm not gonna like uh, listen nobody wants to hear a 40 40 year old and a 39 year old litigate the state of the rap charts such yeah. as they are um 
But I don't think even the most diehard Lil Uzi Vert stan is going to be like, that's some uplifting shit. And or fun, necessarily. And so it's nice to have a little bit of that comeback, even if it's just nostalgia for us at this point. Let me ask you a question. I love it. This Let's is the forum for go it. Go back to, I guess, 05, 06. Let's mm. go back to mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Second Clips album. I'd love to. And what was happening around Pharrell at the time and just the amount of water he was drawing Yeah, and the amount that people were like, this dude is really the, like, the center of all pop music yeah, right now. He's, he's a triple threat. So now fast forward he, 10 he, years later. He can later. sing, he can produce, and he can design sneakers. Yes. Well, here's my thing. Fast forward 10 years later. Are you overwhelmed, underwhelmed, or properly whelmed with what Pharrell has done in the intervening 10 years? Honestly, I would say overwhelmed because... So he's over. He's exceeded your expectations. Because for there was done. a brief moment when he appeared poised to be legitimately to legitimately become a pop star in his own right right when one of the reasons why we sort of um not disparaged nerd but definitely didn't like um up it or parage <laughs> it um was because it essentially felt like a vanity project for a guy who was better served in the background of other people's records yeah you know you and i are both veterans of the clips mixtape fast forwarding his verses on the clips mixtapes or tolerating them yeah because you know that was the that was the price of admission basically to listen to them so i would say the fact that he had a number one record around the world and with happy you mean yeah yeah with happy and 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 a solo record that did i think probably okay he had he had such a good um gq conversation with our friend zach baron that there was a whole there was like a whole alt alt interview that appeared online yeah um and and also to to realize that just to bring it back full circle to our ages, how much time has passed? So to continue to be the guy people are checking for, I, that I am I am overwhelmed. I am underwhelmed, okay. if only because he abandoned his skateboard P persona <laughs> because it. the DJ drama tape he made before in my mind came out. <laughs> I remember that is one of my like low key favorite rap mixtapes ever. Yep, you which always is said just that. him rapping over like Wu Tang beats and yeah. Tribe beats. Mm-hmm. With drama screaming in the background and a couple of appearances from Pusha. But I'm not a complicated guy. You know what I mean? I like my baked potato with my steak. Uh-huh. And I like it when dudes rap over Wu-Tang. They could just, if, if all of music was just people rapping over Wu-Tang, it's a desert island sound to me, man. And I think it, it contains multitudes. And I remember that tape came out and I was like, this guy sucks at rapping, but this is fucking awesome. Do, we, do you think people check for the new Metro Boomin production with the same like scholarly enthusiasm that, that we are talking about now. I was thinking now. about that too. So like, do you, I think that the life cycle for those guys is a little faster and that's but also again, like 17 coming from someone who is not, not fluent in rap caviar, which is just like, come on, somebody take me out behind the barn and put me out of my misery. <laughs> but as someone who is not exactly like yeah. completely on top of it, uh-huh. I don't know that, with the exception of Mike Will, maybe mm-hmm. a couple other guys, have we seen someone who has like filled the Pharrell mold that has gone from right producer, hook person, like pr- provider of hooks, guests artist, uh, solo artist in their own right, and also like business maven, music business maven, who's like directing traffic because I, a lot of that was really good on Pharrell's part in 06 where he was like, I'm going to start my own American Idol. Yeah. And it was just like, wow. And then it didn't happen. But yeah. he definitely knew how to like 
stimulate the pleasure centers of a lot of different groups of people. And I don't know that any one rap producer has transcended being like, I'm really good. Maybe now I'm making some pop stuff well, look, to, I, I, to totally. become like it, a central cultural figure. I the think way it's a, was. that's an interesting conversation to have. Um, and I think that what that speaks to more is the times than the people involved. Yeah. Because I think that one of the hallmarks of the era of music we're talking about did feel incredibly exciting with the potential for crossovers and, and people feeding off of each other in different genres mm-hmm. and sort of collapsing genre boundaries altogether. Right now, everything does feel... and. I, Politics aside, things feel polarized culturally. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is, um, you know, when we talked about Craig Marx's great story in Vulture about rap caviar like a month ago, the the implication of that article was um, 21 Savage doesn't need to do anything but make a 21 Savage track and upload it for it to go to number one on the Billboard charts, basically, sure. at this point. Sure. Um, so then it, it's both, I don't know if it's the interest has waned or the, the expectation or pressure has waned, but if you look at Mike Will Made It, who is a good example, I think, right. producing Miley Cyrus, and there's a moment where like, okay, he's crossed over. Yeah. They're coming to him in the same way that Gwen Stefani went to Pharrell. For, for Hollaback, yeah. And then look what happens. Miley then, um, because she has this immense privilege, can basically just, go full stop hard reboot and be like nah just playing I really like country music and hanging out with my boyfriend you make it sound like Mike Will is like Lloyd Dobler with like and he's he's holding yeah. like a boombox no, over I mean, his head playing a GZ tape dude, I mean that's first of all if only I could be woken up that way instead of a large skunk making its way to Dodger Stadium um, but 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 you know what I mean? Like like she she retreated basically into an older persona or a safer sure, persona. Yeah. I mean, but, and, and that appears yeah. to be the way of the pop charts right now. Yeah, whether but I'm sure like there's a trap rapper who is just like damn Mike Will, you've left us behind. Just the same way like he's probably yeah. Like, but that that trap rapper's like damn chain smokers. Why don't you return my text? <laughs> it's true. Okay, uh, we're gonna get into Stranger Things episodes four through uh, four five and six four five and six. So spoilers through six. Yes. Uh, and we will be talking about the final three episodes on Monday. We'll also be talking about Thor. Yeah, a lot on my watch list. There is a lot on your watch list. We'll be back after a few words from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Sonos. You've heard Andy and I talk a lot about Sonos over the last couple of months. You know, but I was sitting around in my apartment one day and I was like, you know what? You know what this Sonos could really use? Voice command. And then they went and did done did it with the Sonos One. Sonos One blends the great sound you expect from Sonos with Amazon Alexa, the easy-to-use voice service for hands-free control of your music and more. So now all you need is your brain, your voice, and your Sonos, and it's just where we're going, we don't need roads. You can use your voice to play songs while you cook. You can tell Alexa to turn the volume up while you're in the shower. You can even request a lullaby out loud when you're tucking in the kids. You play songs, turn on lights, adjust the temperature, check news and traffic, manage smart devices, and more with the helpful Amazon Alexa skills, all using a single Sonos speaker. Sonos One is backed by a pair of Class D amplifiers and custom-built drivers, so the sound is face-melting and pure. And since Sonos is continually updating with new feature services and skills, your music and voice options will both keep getting better and better over time. And now Sonos is offering listeners of the watch 10% off with one order of $2,500 or less for any product at Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only, but I cannot stress how cool these products are. This offer can't be combined with other discounts or promotions. 
Use the promo code WATCH10. That's W-A-T-C-H, number one, number zero, at Sonos.com to receive this offer. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Stitcher Game of Thrones fans. Check out Stitcher Premium for over 30 hours of exclusive Game of Thrones content, including hardcore Game of Thrones, an addictive series that is one part mockumentary, one part satire. Listen along as comedian Alex Berg dives into the complicated history of Westeros. The Daily Dot called it an absolute must-listen for fans. Plus, Stitcher Premium now has audio from 16 sessions of Con of Thrones, the largest ever convention for GOT fans. Geek out with talent interviews and expert discussions touching on topics like race, gender, and possible spinoffs. Start listening now with a one-month free trial to Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcher.com premium and use promo code WATCH at checkout to get your free month. That's stitcher.com slash premium. We're back. The watch, the re-up, it's Thursday. Things are loose. Things are casual. Yeah. Uh, Listen, we just did a whole jag about the Neptunes producers. Let's make a playlist and throw it up on Spotify. Let's do it. Sometime in the next few days. We'll tweet it. Yeah, we'll do that. We're going to talk about Stranger Things episodes four, five, and six right now. And at the end of the episode, we'll take a couple of listener questions, as is now a new watch watch re-up tradition. It's just what we do. It's who we are. Yeah. Uh, Andy, so the middle act, mm-hmm. act two of Stranger Things season two, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, just announced John, uh, John Coblin over at the Times just tweeted out, somehow, I'm not sure, sure about the mm-hmm. math here, mm-hmm. Nielsen says, yeah. 15.8 million people watched the first episode of Stranger Things season two. Why do they know that? I don't know. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah, they're scraping our data. Is that good I, I because it's not yeah, just it's pretty good no, no i mean i know that's a lot of people watching <laughs> yeah. something and that would be you know but but what are we comparing it to because hbo at this point tracks the life cycle of a game of thrones episode which i think all told with everything over time sure. can get 20 million um does netflix have higher expectations lower expectations they're playing a different game because they want everyone who subscribes to the service to watch it right or they want people to subscribe to it and then doesn't matter because they're getting their money so all that is to say we know it's a hit I think that this maybe suggests that this is not just like dorks like this. Mm-hmm. I think that this is like maybe catching on. What does as a it phenomenon. say about me that I don't like? Well, it. that's a good Woo! question, man. Maybe you're maybe you're Steve. Yeah, and I'm Jonathan. Well, then the show is doing me a massive disservice. So uh, I take it that the fourth, fifth, and sixth episodes did not buoy your hopes about no. this show. I, you, but I, I want you you put me you put me on my heels last time. I want you to make the case. Because you know, here's the, this is this is a sort of a bracing slap in the face for me uh, on the old Soch, because I haven't been a critic in a minute, and I kind of forgot how much people want critics to like things mm-hmm. and to approve of things and to agree with them um, until our man Sean the Commish you posted a. 10 minute clip of me bagging on stranger things as 16 million people were falling in love with it so that's cool that's what we do i'm out i'm on the front lines of this i don't hide away i don't shy away from that opinion but i do want to hear the positive case for it because i i think on some level and maybe we'll get to it in this conversation i don't think we disagree about that much you just seem to be enjoying it more yes i really 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 enjoy the world and the characters and the story is sort of secondary to me and if anything my gripes come down to I want different pairings here and there, or uh-huh. I want X mm-hmm. character to get more screen time or Y character to get more screen time. I was thinking about this a lot in relationship to some of the, uh, what was it being announced as a remake this week? Four Weddings and a Four Funeral. Four Weddings and a Funeral. And I was just like, can Mindy Kaling not get a friggin' romantic comedy off the ground that she has to bury it underneath this? Yes. Right. That's the answer. That's so, the, so, so for people who don't know, she's she has announced plans along with the Mindy Project writer, Matt Warburton, to 
um, basically revive or reinvent the beloved film for weddings and a funeral. The, the four dubs and an F universe. By the way, <laughs> that is a dark universe where for, out of four friends, three of them get married and one dies. Yeah. That's like the Saw films, yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, but anyway, for Hulu, so make a make a, an anthology series based on that that lovely idea. Sure, and you could just. She, that Mindy Kaling with whatever you know pull she has in the industry sure. cannot just like walk into an office and be Correct. like, "Hey, I'd really like to make a show about a group of friends who get older over the course of eight years or something like that mm-hmm. and have several major important life mm-hmm. events happen to them." Um, obviously, calling it four weddings and a funeral gets a baseline of interest in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how passionate that that like interest is anymore right. like as we learned with blade runner yeah i mean that's a blade runner is something that's is incredibly complicated you, it was three hours long you could only seat that many people during the course of a day mm-hmm. in a movie theater it obviously didn't play at all in other overseas uh mm-hmm. markets but i was just thinking about this with stranger things that part of like there is actually like i'm i'm the reverse of you know you have a baseline of interest in some of this pre-existing mm-hmm. intellectual property i'm kind of like this is just so nice that it's new and it's it, not new. Except that it's not. Yeah, but like there's, even if they're archetypes, they're not like, I have to do this because you guys have expectations about what happens no, to this I, person. I agree. I think my frustration with it is that the Duffer Brothers' interest in these archetypes seems to be little more than, I love this stuff. And, 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 I, and I don't even mean to, that's in and of itself isn't a criticism. Um, it's okay for shows to want to be pleasurable and enjoyable. In fact, that's something I often advocate for. But w- what I mean when I say that is that it, it, it just doesn't go deeper. They just kind of sit there, particularly in the second season, when we're really just sort of celebrating the people and the archetypes that we were introduced to in the first season rather than pushing deeper in any real or meaningful way. Before, before we get back to the show, I did want to play devil's advocate for the original material versus IP thing. Sure. Um, now that I've had some experience on the other side of the business... Let me tell you, it is a weird and crazy experience to sit in a pitch room where you're pitching somebody on an idea, and especially an original idea, and they have no, they have nothing. If they don't have a script, if they don't have a book, if they don't have a pre-existing they have uh, your word. thing, yeah. they just are listening to you. Sure. And you know what that feels like when you're doing it? Even if you're doing it successfully and the person likes you and they like the idea, it feels like you're telling somebody about your dream. Yeah, and, and then you they're know that staring feeling? at like a point in your forehead and nodding. And, and nodding. Like, yeah, and okay. it, it, there is no there there. And right. when you need an anchor point, not just to make this a successful interaction on a conversational level, but if you're going to potentially put one, two, twenty, two hundred million dollars behind it, yeah, you need something just to make yourself Look, feel better. It's a lot of it is semantics because I know that throughout the '90s there was like people would walk into studios and say die hard in a yeah. or die hard yeah. on a and yeah. they would be like sold yeah. but if you said i have a hostage movie that's like this and it's like it's it's about how you package your ideas and how you sell them i get that part but there was something about the fact that even in blade runner i felt like okay the, certain things have to go certain ways and there are certain nods that it has to mm-hmm. make to the original it, it's a lot that of, mm-hmm. stranger things doesn't really have to do you know what i mean but it does them does it so like what's the thing that you think it's doing that is like uh, overly indebted, not even overly indebted, but like shackled to what's, a pre-existing thing. What's with the the guy with the mullet? What's with Max's brother? Yeah, let's talk about Billy. Why is Billy here? What? Who cares? Other than the fact that Billy looks like someone who should exist in Stranger Things and in movies from this right. era. I Billy is the big misstep for the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really, obviously have a lot of thoughts on the basketball scene, and we'll be sharing them in a yeah. upcoming video for the Ringer. But oh, good, I, that's all you need to say. <laughs> um, 
his inclusion seems like they wrote him into the show and filmed some stuff and then changed their mind. Yeah, well, yeah, and which is I'm, which is not fair to. I'm not saying that they didn't plan it out in advance, but even the Duffers, or actually Sean Levy said about the Duffers recently. Sean that Levy, the, the executive producer. One of the reasons that season two ends the way it does, in in terms of its lack of epilogue. Oh, hey, well, I'm, well, I mean, most of us aren't there. But yet. it's just to say, there's yeah. not an epilogue the way there was mm-hmm. for the first season, mm-hmm. where it was like he coughs something up and mm-hmm. Hopper gets in a car and this happens, is because they didn't want to box themselves in. And I, I don't know, I feel like they brought Billy on because they were like, wouldn't this be interesting? And then they were like, crap, the, we have like too many characters. There is a, Stranger Things proudly exists a little bit apart from the TV business as it used to be in any number of ways. Um, obviously, it's it, it's um, manner of distribution, the, the way that its success is gauged, the way the Duffer brothers approach it, um, you know, this whole season as a sequel. Sure. Um, it's it, it, it's interest in the type of story he wants to tell, but there's a very very big old TV tell to me in this season, which is it just does not appear that they had enough time to give it enough thought. Okay. Um, this obviously look this is an open secret. Netflix keeps shows in development because they need to keep the production cycles. They need to lock down the things. So before Stranger Things premiered last summer, before mm-hmm. it became the success that it became, they had a writer's room going. Sure. They have to be ready in case it is. And in some cases, then they quietly shut down the writer's rooms now that they've started canceling shows. But generally, um, you know, that's why whenever I'm interviewing people, like if, if it's the Glow showrunners and when we had Jonathan Groff on, yeah. look, they're getting... Yeah, Jonathan getting, Groff was like, I had to make sure that... A, Fincher told Groff, yeah. are you sure you want to give a couple of years of yeah. your life away to this? Right. And and, and he also knows when he's going to have to be in Pittsburgh. And then if sudden something crazy happens and they have to cancel the show, okay, but he knows. Yeah. Um, so they were this was already pretty far down the track. And then they had to rush and they had a phenomenon and they had to respond to it. And there's just some decision making in this season that I'm like, is that is that the best, is that really the choice you want to make in these nine hours? Yes. Do we really want to take the characters that we like and the momentum that we like so much about the first season, uncovering the mystery of 11, 11 and Mike being together, all four kids fighting, everyone basically fighting for something and spread them all out, mix and match them a little bit, turn them against each other in ways that feel like also kind of very old TV. Sure. And, and then just sort of have them sit there. So they're also veterans of the war already. So like the first season, part of the sort of charm is it, is that, these are a bunch of children who are trying to process like the emergence and reality of this incredible evil and what's happening to a friend of theirs and the appearance of this new mysterious character in their lives. And this time around, they're all like, yeah, weird shit happens. We did it, man. We're back from the shit. Also, they're all just like, hey, there is a phantom negative zone of pure slithery evil. Which is like legit still there. Yeah, it's just there. And everyone's like, okay, I know what this means when there's little snowflake detritus floating through the air now. Exactly. So I think that that was part of it. This middle, these middle three episodes that we're sort of talking about, I mean, we could talk about any one of them specifically if you want to. I think... Well, they're intentionally blur, so... Yeah, and I think that the spy is the one that had the most potential. And it would have been the hardest to actually the spy is six and it's the one where this becomes apparent that will is possessed yeah um that had the most potential to really go somewhere interesting yes is to turn will into a villain oh good we're gonna we have the same opinion yeah and i don't have like I, i look sometimes i think we have unrealistic expectations about what some piece of mass entertainment can really do i mean if you know if you go back to some of the things that even if you watch empire Empire's dark. Mm-hmm. It's not that dark. But it's not that dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, most, I'm sure Harrison Ford and his 
and his ranch wanted him to not come out of carbonite freezing, mm-hmm. but like he was going to come out of carbonite. There was mm-hmm. a reason he didn't kill him, and they only froze him. Yeah, but but there the, was also the, this the, feeling of leaving us all on the brink of despair, knowing that we wouldn't stay there, but leaving us there for two or three years yeah. was a bold choice. I, and actually, I, what I would say is almost the Stranger Things does. I think actually Empire is pretty has a lot of dull parts. Like you, there's a lot of training on Dagobah. You know, going even up. as we're saying this, what I'm realizing is the carried memory of this is this dark masterpiece exists mainly for people who couldn't watch the next one for three years. Yes. You yeah. Know, if, and it's uh, like you're sitting around legitimately being like, like his hands that's gone. That's his dad. That's his dad. Yeah. Uh, Han Solo is frozen. I mean, this is wild. Sure. So Stranger Things doesn't have that problem. I think Stranger Things is like, they actually, the, the stuff that would be their Dagobah training, they're like hanging out and going to the arcade and I, I like those scenes. I like those scenes. It's the part of the problem is when they get to the very edge of, damn, should we freeze this kid? Mm-hmm. Is that they don't do no, it. No, they don't. Exactly. Yeah. And so maybe they're too in love with something that was a problem in 80s movies, which was the invention of PG-13, which is when movies were like, well, okay, we can go, we can tiptoe to the edge, but then we got to pull back because yeah. PG-13, which I believe was created for uh, Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. didn't exist before that. Um the big flaw for me so far in the season, and it's weird because this show has me turned around. I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm advocating for things I generally don't advocate yeah. for. In this case, it's more violence and bodies. But one of the crazy things about the first one was this idyllic suburban town, and there were there was a body count. This this season, it everyone feels strangely safe because they're quote unquote beloved, and you also can't really they don't want a show called Strangely Safe, though. <laughs> well, no, yeah. but um, let's go specifically to the will. Uh, storyline in, in episode six. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. That, to me, that um, he set them up and they're all going to die. Right. Was completely toothless because who are, who are those guys? It's just red shirts. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Now, you put one character we've met in that room, whether it's a cast member, whether it's Hopper, it's not going to be Hopper, but it's, or you introduce a red shirt early on who's maybe nice to him, gives him some gum, whatever. Yeah. It's not tricky to do that. We care. Yeah. Right you now, just, it's like, but I thought these lab guys were the bad guys anyway. Right. We were against them in the first season. Right. So and they, they, they've sort of, I, I appreciate the fact that they didn't just want to redo the Modine character with Paul Reiser and yeah. just and have Paul it be like, yeah, is, another evil scientist. And Paul, and Paul Reiser's, Reiser's great. great. I, I think it, it, I actually, am, I think you and I are probably, I'm at like 85% approval rating for this show and you're probably at like 35 or 45 or whatever. Correct. And then we meet in the middle where we're probably both like, if you had some consequences in this show, while it would change the, obviously like it would change the overall tenor. Like, I don't really want to watch a stranger things where like Dustin bites it, you know? No. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I don't No, but that's not the show. But the idea of what keeps these kids you know, the, can can their friendship, can their right. teamwork keep them a little bit safe to, quote unquote, keep the world at bay? You know, if you want, I mean, one of the things I, I, I feel comfortable saying this because those movies that they're basing these things on were that, too, which is they're 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 metaphors. Right. Yeah. For for we talked about this last week for teen sexuality or the Cold War or the dangers of the modern world. Um, and can these even these safe places still exist? These Americana towns, can they exist or are there tendrils of evil worm sludge existing beneath yeah. them? Um, Your point about um, the introduction of Billy, which is like, he's just hilarious anyway, but the the issue with it and the issue, so you bring in Billy, you bring in Bob, you bring in Max, you bring in Doc, Dr. Owen or whatever uh-huh. Paul Reiser's character's name is, is that you and get Gellman. some suggestions, and Brett Gelman, is that one of these episodes, right? Yep. Yeah. So you get some suggestions. When he asked Jonathan about how the pullout method worked? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that one maybe needed a, a fine tooth comb edit. <laughs> but the pass. Right, go on. Uh, is that you get some suggestions of things like 
the Nancy Steve relationship is actually pretty interesting. It's like, yeah, you know, this was born out of a time before that, like the end of the first season, they were kind of like getting together and it had like a kind of innocence to it in a weird way. And like, she was making him better. Well, also he was playing this role where he was like, he had chosen her. Yeah. Right. And then there's that. And then there's also Mike is the interesting one to me because Mike is the guy who, yeah, you know, like we saved this kid. Yeah. But like, I'm pretty bummed out. I lost my girlfriend. Yeah. And also don't really think that my friend is the same as when he left. And think about, you know, it's hard not to think about Freaks and Geeks doing a lot of these storylines better, obviously in a very different genre universe. But and and I do think we're going to get to it and they're trying to do it with Max and Lucas a little bit. But the idea of we are a gang. We are a team, mm-hmm. and then we start to get interested in other things, and, and we can't all go to that place. Yeah, and like governing your friend groups or your life with like these kind of, you know, these rules would, that govern a, a Dungeons and Dragons would, game. You can't do that. What'd you say about Mike this season? <laughs> you want me to say it? Go ahead. Chris sent me a text that Mike got cucked this season. I don't mean to make this Breitbart the Watch feature on Breitbart News. Do you have any other notes about uh, 4, 5, and 6 um, you want to yeah, bring up? No, I mean, the Nancy thing, first of all, the show, this happens sometimes when a show gives us a relationship that we don't want, thinking that it's what we want. Mm-hmm. And this is, and I think you can actually use this as a test case for to prove our hypothesis that the Duffer brothers are too in love with archetypes. Right. Because they created the, the triangle where Steve is kind of the, the douchebag jock and Jonathan is the sensitive guy with the punk rock tapes and Nancy is caught between them. And obviously we all want her to go with the rebel. But not me. Heads up. No. <laughs> yeah. One million percent team Steve. One thousand percent. Now, it's, it's also because in terms of breakouts, breakout stars, this kid Joe Curie, like he's really good. Yeah. And it's not just his hair. And he they, they recognized it between seasons, gave him more to do he, and let him be winning and appealing. Mm-hmm. But he is one of the people who transcends the the tra- archetypal trappings of the character and the show because he's having fun with it. Yeah. Um, I think David Harbour is another one who's able to do that. He's like the, they and, basically were like, you're Andrew McCarthy, but, and then they realize actually you're Matthew Broderick. You're like it, really charming. It, but you, exactly. Yeah. So they're giving us this Jonathan Nancy thing as if it's inevitable and Brett Gelman laughs, you know, ha ha, why don't you guys bone? Okay, cool. But nobody wants that. And then furthermore, the show doesn't really have the time or interest in explaining and wondering you know explaining any of that to us or, or at least dealing with it on a on a real level i, I am fr- I, I this is very me and probably puts me in a minority yeah but, but what about nance though like for real what do you mean like what which, about her arc? what is she doing or what does she want what or- does she want what is she doing <laughs> like other than jonathan you want on a Nancy pull-out couch. episode where she's just like here's my here's my vision for myself let me tell you something claire These- mcdear wrote a really funny piece for the ringer about how like nancy just needs to get out of hawkins yeah, for real for real yeah but by the way she could just go now because her parents do not give an f yeah there's uh we'll, we'll get to one there's though. an absentee parenting going on here so we'll wrap up stranger things uh, there do you have any other notes no it's just it it, it it was surprising to me to have made it through six and not at least feel caught up in a larger story. Mm-hmm. There was so much throat clearing and chess piece settling. And we didn't. E- and I think it's telling that we didn't even talk about Eleven. Millie Bobby Brown, by far the best performance on the show. The best, uh, probably the best character, although yeah. the nosebleed thing is getting a little tiring. This, this um, you know, vision quest for her mom, I guess that's important for that's, the character. That, the only reason that bothers me is like, I just don't understand the rules of like what she's capable of doing. Sure. And I don't, that feels to me like people who didn't think they were getting a second season. So they, you know, they were like, let's just deal with this now. I don't think anyone would be mad if we had put that off for another season or two or three. How about Simons though? Yeah. Amy Simons <laughs> showing up as, and I, I had to text Chris and say, 
Who's First of all, I didn't realize that was Amy. Mom's friend? I didn't realize that was Amy Simons. <laughs> but then I was like, is her mom married to a woman? Like yeah. I don't know who that person was. Yeah. And then she's like, come in, baby girl, who I was sure was dead until you showed up at the door. <laughs> yes. It, it just look, there are many great pieces of entertainment, particularly in genre or nostalgic stuff, that fall apart under close scrutiny. But as we've said many times on the show, the goal is giving us so much pleasure and um giving us so much pleasure in the process that we don't put it under the microscope. Sure. Yeah. And Stranger Things is creaking under it. Okay, we'll talk about the last three episodes of Stranger Things on Monday. Before we go, we're going to just do a couple of listener questions. You've got mail. Andy, Daniel Sharpless asks, asks, asks body spray. What types of stories are missing and or underrepresented in this age of television and streaming services? Mm, Nancy's story. Doctor stories. Yeah, What's seriously. up with doctors? No, but I specifically, how about... Doctors who are good at their jobs. <laughs> I want some good doctors on television. I would love a bad doctor show. A bad doctor show would be amazing. That would and not basically like, be like a courtroom drama about malpractice. Not like though. Scrubs, yeah. but like just, just people who are checked out and just maybe dipping into the what opiate closet. What do you think closet? about this question, though? Is there anything that jumps out at you where you're like, we really need X? We need to see X on screen? Um, and there's the obvious answer is just like shows that represent the diversity of of the viewing, the viewing one, audience, one thousand percent, yeah, but but not just that shows that represent the diversity of the viewing audience that are rep, that, that represent the diversity of creators that have the full financial and and marketing backing of some of these other shows, yeah, that aren't just considered niche or, or whatever. Um, and by diversity, I definitely mean either CIA agents, FBI mm-hmm. agents, or cops that play by their own rules, or doctors who play by their own rules but are good. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like it, it's interesting the the Mindy Kaling thing. You know, we're dinging it for having to be based on four weddings and a funeral. Um, but that type of storytelling, like someone who Mindy Kaling is passionate about romantic comedies. She's never, you know, she's done it in miniature over a number of seasons on on the Mindy Project. But mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what she could do. I mean, there's room for that kind of I'm show on for television. The f- for the, the third wedding. I, I'm excited for, which is the one where a now... 80-year-old Simon Callow shows up in a kilt, just moon the audience and be like, give me my residuals. I, I've waited five years to drop a Simon Cal- Callow reference. And I almost said Simon five Cowell. Five years? Well, we started five oh, years yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, things like that are interesting to me. You know the thing that I always want. I think it actually came off the board recently, but what, what, where's Sneakers the TV show? Where's our, where's our, where are our heist shows? So why do you think it came off the well, board? I, th- I think someone said they were developing it. I oh, think okay. someone picked it up. But like... You know, the types of shows that, going back to Terrier is a show that I love so much, but shows about, in, in a sort of 70s or even 80s style, you know, the, the, the sting, like, get some charming people doing some sort of crime and, like, and give it to me. Yeah. You know, with the parts of, and I'm not saying that's going to win all the awards or be the, the most prestige of prestige shows, but the parts of the deuce that we talk about, the hanging out of the bar, the very pelicanos stuff from his books... Mm-hmm. Let's just siphon some of that off and give me some. I mean, Corey was the closest to Corey yeah. was the closest to a pure pulp crime fiction on television that I've seen, and that got just brutally mishandled. So, right. what I'm saying is, there's a lane for it. Logan Marshall, Marshall Greenback, though. Yeah, damnation. damnation. Uh, Chase Branch wonders: Can a highly praised animated comedy like BoJack or mm-hmm. Rick and Morty possibly garner a deserved Best Comedy Emmy nomination? We can, we don't even talk about them on the show, so yeah. I don't know how they're going to get. Um, in this world, I mean, possibly, but I, I think no. I, my, my sense is that the Emmy voters, um, particularly because they're protective of their own fields, whether they are, you know, they generally write for non-drawn, non-animated things, mm-hmm. they don't want to muddy the waters in the same way that I always gave myself an out by saying that my top 10 list was just going to be not animated sure. just so I could have more room to put shows that no one right. else liked on them. 
along that same lines, uh, Noah uh, Liverman asks, why hasn't a streaming comedy like American Vandal or Bojack captured the zeitgeist like dramas, a.k.a. or not a.k.a. i.e. Handmaid, Stranger Things, etc.? Um, I think people love to... I, I wouldn't necessarily put Handmaids and Stranger in this group. I would say more like Westworld and Game of Thrones, where I think that the collective effort to solve and investigate mm-hmm. a show is what drives a lot. Not exactly. a lot, no. but a fair amount of the interest in show in drama. The serialized like, journey. Yeah. Um, I also think that people don't really like talking about comedy. I mean, I, that's anecdotal, but I think people are like, that was funny. It becomes the Chris Farley interview. In yeah, a, it was like, in, what's in, the in mechanics of talking about how funny American Vandal is? I mean, I can just be like, Tromboli is a legend. Yeah. But I don't really know what to say to you beyond I really laughed no, at it. it. I mean, we, and they we, take we can, it to a really great extent. Ten years on, we can talk about aspects of 30 Rock as they relate to a wisdom about the culture or mm-hmm. the country or feminism or whatever other um, uh, spot we want to sort of wedge it into. But at the time... And I and I wrote about it weekly for a while. I you know it was really just boy that was funny because no one writes funnier sure. faster jokes. Sure, um, that's part of it. And then there's just the, there is a still inherent bias that a half hour is somehow less serious, whether it is partly comedy or not. Like the hour still is the mechanism for which we judge the the gravity of a television. Yeah, show. I mean, I was kind of I was expecting I think over the last couple of weeks for you to be like, when are we going to talk about Curb? Yeah, and, I, I sort of thought so too. And then I keep watching it and. I, I don't know. Do you, you laugh? I laugh, but I laugh honestly because I am enjoying the rhythms of Larry David's mind and the way he talks and seeing our old pals again. I don't think anyone would say that this is close to one of the best seasons. do you think it's because you're viewing it through the lens of the kind of scrutiny we put on other shows? And like if this was just part of like a six season, you know, I'm watching Curb again kind of thing, you would have like no. some revelations? No, I kind of feel like it's when we talk about the new Jimmy World album or Afghan Wigs album. Oh, yeah, where like, they got the band back together. Where I'm like, Hey, they're, and not only that, they're still doing it. And this is still really good. But both for the band, although I, mean, I don't know, I don't know actually if they feel this way. Jeff Garland didn't seem to feel this way. But certainly for the, the crowd, we've all sort of made peace with the fact that this is not part of the larger cultural conversation anymore. But they're still hitting their but marks was, for us. So and, you think and Curb, Curb was part of a larger cultural conversation? Well, also, Curb just felt electric. I, sure. whether, whether it was a, cu- a cultural conversation, I don't know. I mean, although we all talk, it certainly we all talk about pants tense now or, yeah. or whatever the case may be. Right. It entered words into our vocabulary and it, you know, radically. I mean, there's definitely comedy. been a time there. You know, 30 rocks, a good example. Um, you know, I'm Simpsons and Seinfeld, obviously like ep- there, there have been comedies where you would have that day after a conversation. Yeah, Arrested Development, Parks and Rec. Sure. Um, and I think the good place is sort of because it is so deeply serialized is able to, to, to slide in and out of that conversation. Yes. But I just feel like specifically for curb, um, I'm happy it exists because I want Larry David to just have fun and do these things and it's an enjoyable hang, but this is not the best season by any stretch and it feels like it's lost its fastball in a lot of ways because what it does seem to be doing is it knows what it is and it's sort mm-hmm. of karaokeing itself a lot of ways. Like that episode where it, with the, with, it gets kicked out of the hotel and the tongs and the cookies and then the hooker that he meets in the beginning and Funkhauser's nephew. I mean, there's so much plot yeah, now like and the on. trick seems to be, the f- challenge for Larry seems to be I'm going to go all these outlandish directions and then tie them into the funniest possible bow. Right. Which is amazing. But it, it does feel culture adjacent. One last question from Matt. Uh, I actually haven't really thought about this one a lot. When is it okay to watch on your phone? That's a great question. I think uh, in, an, in an emergency, not okay. a real emergency, but like a literally like I am at the DMV or uh, everyone else in this house is asleep and I'm jet lagged or like something where you, you there's no other option. But 
I think I, the show tells you, man. I think the show wow. tells you whether to watch it on the phone. Like, it's okay to watch it in bed on your iPhone or not. Like, if it's a sitcom, go for it. Yeah, like, if, it's, if, if, I, if, if I just, if you just need a dopamine hit at yeah. the end of a day, you and you're watch like, Chopped? Or, like, go ahead. Or, or Cheer, old Cheers reruns yeah. or something, that's I would, fine. I would watch, like, Parts Unknown on a phone. Well, it wouldn't look good, yeah. Yeah, I but, would. But, I, I, but I'll use, use a specific example. I was, when I was, you know, getting through the season of Stranger Things, and there was a moment when I did not have access to any devices but my phone. I was like, well, I can use this moment to do 10 more minutes of it so I can... You know what Mr. Netflix is saying? That's fine, brother. <laughs> yeah. but, but I tried it, and I was like... I mean, I, you've heard me in this hour or podcast talk about how not into the show I am. I was all the way out watching it on a phone. Yeah. So, But look, you do you. You live in this world. Anything you navigate you it. This right. is a rap caviar universe. You get, <laughs> you get the mother of Pearl Spoon. That's what I'm telling you. We're out. Thank you to Zach hey, Greenwald. New Double Down Book Club for people who didn't make it through the Queen Deuce interview pin last week. Queen, by Megan Abbott. Queen pinned by Megan Abbott. Megan's gonna, Megan is going to join us to talk about it sometime in December. We are really excited. Go check it out and uh, finish Stranger Things for next week, right? Yep. Have a great weekend, Varansky. Woo! Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Sonos. You know, we've been talking about Sonos for a really long time on this podcast. It is obviously our speaker system of choice. It has changed the way we listen to music. But you know what they needed? They needed some voice control, and they went and did it. Sonos One blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, the easy-to-use voice service for hands-free control of your music and more. Use your voice to play songs while you cook or you're in the shower. You can even manage your smart devices all using a single Sonos speaker. And now for a limited time, Sonos is offering listeners of The Watch 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. Just use promo code WATCH10, and that's W-A-T-C-H-1-0 at Sonos.com to receive this offer.